Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Well, it's Black Friday, huge shopping day in stores and online. Now, if you order from Amazon, you need to know how good they are at squeezing workers as well as communities. Today on the show, the latest from the Seattle Building Trades and the United Steelworkers. Welcome to the Friday, November 25th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Monty Anderson. Monty is executive secretary of the Seattle Building and Construction Trades Council. Website, real simple, seattlebuildingtrades.org. Monty serves as the executive secretary for that council, which represents 19 affiliates and over 20,000 workers. He also serves in a volunteer capacity as president of the International Association of Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers, Local 7, and he previously worked as Local 7's business manager. Monty's been a construction worker for over 30 years. He's deeply passionate about helping middle-class construction workers achieve the American dream. How many times we say it's the pathway to the middle class? Well, a couple things we're going to delve into. Number one, community workforce agreements with governments, including the city of Seattle, King County, and the Port of Seattle. And what a difference they are making, including an apprenticeship agreement with Costco. Two years ago, they signed a historic new student and community workforce agreement with the Seattle Public Schools, which, by the way, was achieved After decades, can you believe that? Decades of advocacy by union members. They didn't give up this fight, and they finally got what they wanted. And also, transforming lives. Recently, Monty joined Seattle's mayor and a U.S. senator at an event to celebrate the reopening of one of their major bridges, the West Seattle Bridge. There were over 67 thousand work hours on the project and over one third of those hours were priority hire hours by workers from underserved populations isn't that amazing doing a good job there as leader of the seattle building and construction trades council monty anderson our first guest later in the show we're going to go to uh, kevin map now kevin is an international vice president of human affairs with the United Steelworkers, USW.org, one of the many proud sponsors of America's workforce. And in that position, he essentially took over Fred Redmond's job. Now, Fred had that job for years, and Fred is now the secretary treasurer of the AFL-CIO. A little background here on uh, Kevin. He previously served as assistant to the director in District 2, which uh, was formerly the Michigan area. District 1 is now included with uh, Ohio and Michigan. They did some changes a couple of months back. Both of uh, Kevin's parents were USW members. He quickly followed their footsteps, 
working first in production, then as an industrial maintenance mechanic at U.S. Steel's Great Lakes Works. He was a member of a local 1299 in Ecorse, Michigan. In 2012, Kevin became a staff rep, served a wide variety of locals across southern Michigan, including local 13702, whose members work in area cemeteries. As a USW vice president, Kevin coordinates bargaining in the union's health care, containers, public sector, and shipbuilding sectors. He's a committed activist, serves on several boards, making a big difference with workers' lives. We're going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act, how those policies directly help union members. We'll touch on the election results. The steelworkers did an incredible job. Well, of course, they're based in Pittsburgh. But they did an incredible job getting the vote out and making sure that John Fetterman was the next senator, which flipped that race. It was currently in Republican hands. I believe it was a Pat Toomey had that seat. So it's going to flip over to a Democrat. We're also going to touch on the AFL-CIO Martin Luther King Jr. Civil and Human Rights Conference. I remember talking to Fred about that many times on the show So, Kevin, in that position, we'll discuss that and more as our second guest on the show. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Well, uh, today is, uh, of course, Black Friday, big shopping day. And if you're looking for made in America goods, don't waste your time. Just go to AmericanManufacturing.org, proud sponsors of America's Workforce, the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Last week, they uh, officially unveiled their 2022 Made in America holiday gift guide. There's a lot of people that want goods made in America, but they can't find them. So this is a good place to start, okay? Support American workers. Do that. And uh, as the holiday Shopping season gets underway. The Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union, which is affiliated with the Food and Commercial Workers Union, issued a statement urging that Amazon treat workers with dignity and respect. I don't know if they know how to do that, to be honest. But uh, Stuart Applebaum is the president of the Retail Warehouse Union. He said every year at this time, Amazon workers across the world are forced to work mandatory overtime at an often unattainable pace that results in injuries. So, Amazon cannot continue to treat workers as disposable. And today, Black Friday, workers will be taking action to demand that they be treated with the dignity and respect that they deserve. And if you are in the stores today or this weekend, make sure you show some respect for those behind the counter. I mean, they're working hard, and if they don't have what you want, don't take it out on them. Getting back to uh, Amazon here, it's amazing what this company has done, not just to workers, but to communities. And I have to thank uh, a wonderful organization that we have featured on the show many, many times, and that is Good Jobs First. They report that Amazon has squeezed more than $5.1 billion from U.S. states and localities in economic development subsidies. Again, got to thank Good Jobs First and their Amazon tracker database. Goodjobsfirst.org is their website. Amazon has continued to reap subsidies, not just here. But around the world, they've done this in Germany, Sweden, 
and the United Kingdom, most of the subsidy packages are for warehouses, even though Amazon's rapid delivery prime business model compels it to build hundreds of such facilities close to communities. Amazon also recently announced it will lay off thousands of workers and cancel some of its distribution expansion plans, admitting that it overbuilt. So while the company has failed to sign its first collective bargaining agreement with warehouse workers in New York who have voted to unionize, take heart. This is a company that is essentially robbing taxpayers. Governments are wasting huge sums subsidizing Amazon even as the pandemic drove record growth for the company and repeated exposés have shown the deplorable working conditions of its warehouse workers. The bottom line is this. They have to build the warehouses to sustain their business model. Why give them a tax break? Why do that? And they point out a couple of instances here. In the last two years, Amazon received one of the biggest packages ever in Niagara County, New York, in exchange for $124 million, $124 million, Amazon promised to create 950 jobs paying roughly the county's minimum wage when the warehouse opens, and that's $15 an hour. The jobs per the agreement can be part-time or contract workers employed by temp agencies. And then there's another example of Blount County, Tennessee. They committed $12 million for road improvements necessitated by an Amazon warehouse. Amazon will make payments for that work via payment in lieu of taxes called a pilot agreement over the next 20 years instead of paying property taxes that would have gone to educate kids, maintain parks, and help veterans. So keep that in mind when you order from Amazon. This is a company that's been squeezing workers and taxpayers for a long, long time. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the Seattle Building Trades. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, 
who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or do both. AWF Union Podcast. All right, let's go to Washington State right now. And joining us on our live line is Monty Anderson. Monty comes to us from the Seattle Building and Construction Trades Council website, seattlebuildingtrades.org. And this is a guy that's been involved in organized labor, specifically, of course, the building trades for a long time, over three decades. And there's a lot going on in that state, and we're going to cover it right here on the show. Monty Anderson, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? Excellent. Thank you for asking. It's a, it's a beautiful day here in Seattle. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. You get interesting weather over there. Last year, didn't you get like a crazy heat wave? And did any of that happen this year? Oh yeah, we uh, we broke a record for over ninety, which some people think is you know my uh, it's funny. My dad uh, snowbirds in Yuma, and he laughs when people start panicking when it's over ninety. You know, so it's it's, <laughs> it's really weird what what's going on with crazy heat and, and flooding, ridiculous uh, you know very severe storms. I, I mean, look what happened recently in uh, in Puerto Rico. I mean, like what. Tw- 30 inches of rain in one day. I mean, it's crazy. It's really crazy. But, hey, every day is a blessing and sometimes a challenge. So let, let's yeah. talk. I always like to talk to our guests before we get into the the meat of it as far as how they got involved in organized labor. And I understand you come from the heat and frost insulator. So you know what that tells me? That tells me you know Pete Almini, right? Oh, yes. Royalty, royalty. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, uh, it's funny. We are the smallest of all the building trades. Uh, you know, when you start looking at, you know, like the laborers, electricians, you know, the UA and all them, uh, they have more apprentices than we have members. Uh, that doesn't mean we're we're not fierce and mighty. You know, we really punch above our weight, but uh, um, yeah, yeah we're, we are the smallest. Okay, okay. Well, talk to me about the uh, the size of the uh, Seattle building trades. How many unions? How many members altogether? Well, uh, yes, the bu- Seattle building trades is. Uh, uh, I'm proud to say one of the most put together building trades in North America. You know, we have uh, national meetings, and and what they see coming out here, we set a lot of agenda items. We have uh, 19 affiliates, over 20,000 members, which makes us uh, fairly large, not as big as obviously the LA and New Yorks and Chicago's of the world, but uh, we get a lot done here. So uh, all our affiliates uh, are very, very uh, active in our political campaigns out here, so it makes it easy for us to get a lot of stuff done. Okay. Now, as far as you getting involved in um, in the trades, specifically with the insulators, any uh, any push by family members? You grow oh, up with yeah. family members? Go, oh, yeah. Go ahead. My, my father my father is a heat and frost insulator, and, uh, you know, when you're a young man, I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to commercial fish up in Alaska like all my friends were and make all this big money, right? Right, right. So, right, so I've got a high school, went up there, and the, the Exxon uh, Valdez oil spill happened, right? And I came home, and I'm sure your father was probably like, mine, you ain't sitting around on this couch, kid. I'll tell you that right now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so the next day, I was down, next day I was down at the apprenticeship, and uh, you know, I've been here uh, 32 years later, so I'm still here, right? Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. How uh, how's the uh, the building situation over there in that area? Because you know, we're hearing various parts of the country they're 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 on fire. They're crazy. Kentucky and uh, 
And also Tennessee, they're doing these EV plants, battery. Ford has got a big presence there. Now, I know, you know, with, with that area, there's a lot of high tech going on, obviously, because of Microsoft. Um, that dreaded company, Amazon, has a location over there as well. But, but I'm sure they're probably building more warehouses. So what's, what's the scenario? Well, you know, it's funny. King County is the largest county here in Washington State. If we were our own state, we'd be like the 38th. We'd be the 38th state in the United States. So uh, we're right there with Kentucky when it comes to, you know, uh, people. Uh, Tech-wise, you know, we've got them all here. You know, we're building huge Google projects, Facebook or Meta projects. Of course, Amazon uh, can't stop building here. And the building I deal with, mostly the Seattle building trades, is mostly the vertical stuff, the big Amazon towers. Uh, So those are predominantly union. Now, the tilt-up in the warehouses... All across the country, that's a that's a that's a little different. Uh, but for us here in Seattle, with Amazon, uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, all the players, we've got a good relationship with them when it comes to building union here. So, what about the growth? You know, there's a lot of organizing going on right now. I'm just wondering, and you're a pretty union friendly state. I, obviously, there's always those non-union contractors out there. There's people that like to bust unions, but. Uh, and you got a pretty progressive governor, from what I've been reading. Yes. With with all of that being said, how would you uh, how would you rate the state? I don't know if that's the right terminology, but how would you assess the state? Let's let's put it that way. I would say this: that uh, Washington State has two distinct, I should say, kind of areas: Eastern Washington and Western Washington. We have the Cascade Mountain Range that comes through us. Uh, Obviously, over here on the west side, it's a lot more people, a lot more unionized. And when you get on the other side, it has got high union concentration, but it kind of flows a little bit towards, you know, Idaho and Montana and some of that. So we do have our struggles here, but we still are the third most unionized state in in the country. So, um, and that says a lot because... Uh, we have a lot of influences here. A lot of people come here from all over the place, you know, uh, mm-hmm. try to, you know, set up shop. Um, and we, uh, we we always try to make it really clear with them, you know, how we're going to build. Now, with the other companies that start here, they always build union. But like I said, the Amazons and the Starbucks of the world that started here, um, it's tough to see them outside of here and some of their responses to unionization, obviously. Well, I think some of them, they're union-built, but they're not union-run. And I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the organizing going on for the workers in those respective buildings. But, you know, to to what you said, I want to pick up on that a little bit more. you you got to work the system. And, Monty, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about here. you got to get involved in the political process. you got to come up with certain agreements. And what I want to get into are these uh, community workforce agreements. And I know you did this with, uh, let's see, the city of Seattle, King County, and the Port of Seattle. Can you explain how those uh, came about and how they work? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, great things. You know, a little history on them is project labor agreements, PLAs, have been around since the Hoover Dam. And those were always traditional agreements between uh, usually the, the end user or the general contractor and labor set down some universal labor terms. So everybody was working off the same sheet of uh, paper, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Agreement procedures, the same hours of work, the same, you know, just help the project go better. Uh, A few years ago, when we saw the building trades, that there being a large gap uh, in people entering the programs, you know, um, 
we uh, added on a community community component to that. So through the city of Seattle, Port of Seattle, Seattle School District, King County, all of them around here, the Mariners have just done one. We have a community component along with the project labor agreement that uh, sets aside for people in distressed zip codes. We'll have zip code hiring. We also carve out for foster kids, recently incarcerated youth, women, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people below the poverty line. And what it does is uh, it gives us a, a, you know, a pathway out of poverty for these people because for a long time, you know, we've just kind of been standing on the sidelines and uh, just saying, hey, go get in line. Well, that's not good enough anymore. So yeah, yeah. it's a way to incentivize and to work with people that aren't traditionally, um, you know, being exposed to the building trades. Yeah, you've, you've got the like the ultra rich and then you've got people on the opposite end. So and, and to your point, you got to you got to rebuild the middle class. You really got you got to get into those neighborhoods and say, hey, you know what? There is a better way. The trades could be that way. So so let's take that concept here, because I know you're zeroing in on, I guess, a student and community workforce agreement going yeah. into the schools. Can you get into that? Well, what we did is when we went to Seattle School District, which is the largest school district in the state, uh, they also realized um, that there's a hole there, too, for, for students. And we, you know, it's okay to say this now that not everybody's going to college, but for a long time it was... Uh, frankly embarrassing for school administrators to talk to parents about the traits. Uh, you know, I mean, if you came to an open house and they said they were going to make you a plumber, uh, you know, they, <laughs> it, it almost would seem offensive. Right, we right. know that that's a, a damn good job and a, and a direct entry into the middle class. You, you don't have to wait around on that one. You're already there. So the, the tide has changed a little bit. You know, we, we've got a lot of... Uh, construction classes going back into the school district here, some skill centers. And along with that comes our part, where we're going to uh, incentivize students and have them work in their own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's really good about this is we track is how much money stays in the community, right? That the, the job site should reflect the community. So we've got over $12 million in wages and benefits in Seattle that has not left Seattle, right? Oh. It stayed right here with the residents. And, and we believe that's really important how to grow communities, right? It's not just to ship construction workers in and out. Yeah. It's to home grow. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you bring up that story about uh, about being a plumber because I'm sure there's a lot of parents saying, oh, I don't want my kid to be a plumber. But then when they need a plumber, they have to pay that plumber. They realize what that plumber is making. Then they say to their kid, "You know what? Maybe you should be a plumber." <laughs> oh, you got that right. I'll tell you what. We uh, when we uh, when we do things at high schools, when we do high school job fairs, uh, you ought to see the parents. Sometimes, sometimes we get more interest from the parents that want to join the union than the student. <laughs> right? You know, thirty-one-year-old guy going, "Hey, can I do this?" Right? Yes, sir. You can. But and the kids just kind of look at him. It's like eh, this is a better job than I got. Yeah, so, yeah. It's it, n- hey, it's never too late, right? <laughs> Right. It's, it's funny, but the, like I said, uh, the parents, their eyes light up, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, how are you doing uh, with uh, with getting workers for jobs? Because I know there's a there's, there's a push to get more people in apprenticeship programs. Maybe you can give us an assessment since you cover all the trades over there. How we're doing with that? Because oh. I, I know, I know there's a couple in various interviews that we did on the show. They're saying, oh, man, come on down. We need you now. What, what's happening yeah. there? Yeah, well, well, you know what happens is what the the tough part is about the trades is is you know our dispatch halls are uh, you know 
it's only if somebody asks for people. You know, we can't just hire another 50. Right. Uh, they're only on demand only. So that's why these community workforce agreements work so well is because we can, we can ahead of time say, well, okay, we're going to have community hire here. That means the demand for 20% of these apprentices will be X number. So we get to start training people early in pre-apprenticeship programs so we're getting them in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing worse than just trying to, you know, you know, you know, just hire like you know, you know, hundred electricians out of nowhere. So, uh, part of these community workforce agreements is getting a, a lot of these people in, in into the pre-apprenticeship programs so they're ready to join the apprenticeship. Gotcha. Know? So that's that's what we're doing. And are we short people? Oh, yeah, you know, um, everybody is, and and that's a, you know, that's a good and a bad thing. That's a good thing that uh, work's going good. It's a bad thing that. Uh, you know, it's taking a little bit of time to get the message out there still about what good middle-class jobs these are. Boy, you hit it right on the head. Messaging is very difficult because there's so many messages out there right now. They they kind of get drowned out, and that's uh, it's tough to cut through the clutter right now. But, uh, yeah, I get it. I definitely get it. Monty, can you stay with us for another segment here? I want to talk to you a little bit more. I guess there, there's some uh, ultra-high-speed rail that uh, they're pushing for. Can we get into that? Uh, uh, yeah, it's what I know about it. Yes, sir. Okay, sounds good. Monty Anderson joining us on our live line. He is the executive secretary of the Seattle Building and Construction Trades Council. SeattleBuildingTrades.org. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this next segment brought to you by the North Coast Labor Federation. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity... Here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to Seattle right now. Joining us today on our live line is Monty Anderson. Monty is Executive Secretary of the Seattle Building and Construction Trades Council. Been involved in the trades for over 30 years. And 
Hey, if you don't mind, I want to talk about rail over there because I know California is pretty big on that. And I, there's some people that are just not into this uh, high-speed rail. But, boy, I guess like in China and Japan, it's pretty big over there. And it does create a lot of jobs. But if you can take me back to the moment here where um, I guess you reopened one of your major bridges, the West Seattle Bridge. And I want to tell you, you know, we in, we record this show in northeastern Ohio, and uh, we had a bridge closing for a couple of years. That is a celebratory moment because during the time of construction, it was horrific, horrific. And uh, so I would imagine with the amount of traffic there is on the the highways and byways today that this had to be a moment. Can you take us back to that time, Monty? Oh, it was it was it was wild. I mean, uh, West Seattle Bridge is the largest bridge uh, that we used in in Seattle. West Seattle is a huge community, and uh, out there, Alki and uh, well. It turned it into a, uh, basically an island. It turned a 20-minute commute into two and a half hours. Oh, boy. Uh, so people uh, – and we had to have just special ways to even get people on an, in and out of there for emergencies, right? I mean, you can't uh, – you know, uh, emergency vehicles and ambulances and things. So there's all these things that go along, but – and it just closed actually suddenly. SDOT, Seattle Department of Transportation, went up there, found some cracks, and then realized uh, – had to make that call to mayor at the time, Jenny Durkin, and she had to make that call, and it was tough. Mm. Uh, but it just wasn't safe. Um, so, you know, like I said, uh, two and a half years later, it's open. Sixty-seven thousand hours later, at um, twenty-one percent uh, apprenticeship, we got that thing done uh, a little faster than they thought. It's it's safe, passed all of the inspections, and it put a lot of local people to work. Did I hear you correctly say it was just whatever two years that it was closed down? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is that is pretty good, and it, it sounds and you got it together right away. Obviously, because there was pressure to get the thing going, right? Well, yes. I mean, when it when a bridge of that magnitude, that big, it's a lot of freight in Seattle. It's right along the port. A lot of freight going on there, so a lot of big trucks, a lot of rail going around there. So to shut it down was a big thing. Um, you know, and at one point they were talking about maybe we just tear it down and build a new one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how long do you put a Band-Aid on something? So yeah. there was a uh, there was a uh, they put together a crack task force of labor, community, engineers, uh, civic leaders, and uh, they went to work. And the best thing at the time was to go in there and you know they go in there with a lot of iron workers on that job. Yeah, in there with the cable, restrain that thing, and uh, uh, like I said, th- you know. It was uh, it was a long job, very technical, and people had to be very patient. But they had some they had some big parties in West Seattle when they opened that thing up. I'll I bet mean, they did. Yeah, uh, breweries. They have a new beer called Reunited, right over there from the breweries <laughs> that they were celebrating <laughs> in the streets with. You know, <laughs> I'm not surprised. It's funny you mentioned the iron workers. I I have learned a lot from the Ironworkers, simply because we record the show at Local 17 <laughs> Ironworkers Hall. And the guys are great, and I hear all these stories, and, and bridges are huge. And I know this for a fact. I know when they uh, passed the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, Eric Dean of the Ironworkers, the president, uh, sent out a release and said that they were going to uh, rebuild, I believe it was 15,000 bridges. And that's pretty much just the start. There's more than that. So there's there's a lot of work out there, a lot of work out there, and I, I know the iron workers and all the trades are are getting the painters too. The painters and allied trades they're involved 
In, in, oh my! I mean, this. it's just like you know, they always, the joke always is about the Golden Gate Bridge. You're never done painting it, right? You right, start one right. and then go the other. Well, there's some um, you know, here in Washington where it's a, you know, some places it's it's about the weather. Different bridges have different stresses, right? Uh, and up here in Seattle, it used to be uh, just the rain, but it's it's not as much as that it, anymore. It's just the rain. It's but the, the cold. We've had extra cold winters and extra hot summers, which. Uh, which is a lot of stress on these structures, uh, the paint, right, the, the integrity, the steel. So mm-hmm. we're seeing some challenges because of the, the, the change of climate up here. And uh, so this infrastructure money is just a lifeline at the right time to, to get, these, uh, get it safe around here. Well, if they use the right steel in the first place, things would be a whole lot better. You probably recall the story, I think it was in California some years ago, where they got Chinese steel and it was rusting before they even finished the job. Because it was a it was a little bitter. That's why. Yeah, and you're right, right, and and we run into that here. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes it's we're going to have a building, and they're like, "Well, what's wrong? All oh, the steel's over in China," and they went over to look at it, and it wasn't there. And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course it wasn't." They just told you. I mean, uh, it's it's unbelievable what people do to save a dollar sometimes. Yeah, and, um, crazy, crazy. <laughs> okay, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to touch on on rail, and and yeah. I understand. I saw this story. Apparently, and this isn't a talking stage. This this could take a long time, and it may not even happen. Who knows? Uh, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, big metropolitan areas there, and they're talking about like an ultra high speed rail. What what do we know about that right now? Because I guess the your Department of Transportation is taking a look at this. Can you can you tell us what well, you yes. know? I mean, uh, well, I mean, everybody always talks about. Yeah, you know, speed rail, you know, and you always know, see it in movies, right, over in Europe, people jumping in and off them and all that. And But over here, when you talk about it, people just, since they've never been around one or seen one, they just think it's kind of like, you know, like movie magic or something, right? And yeah. now that we've seen the presentations and now that we see how it's going to not bring billions, but probably trillions of dollars of industry to be able to move that fast with the workforce between three huge metropolitan areas on the west coast you know everything that goes to asia and everything comes out of these ports here on the west coast uh especially of seattle and canada uh the amount uh, the things they could do for this area are, are unbelievable i don't even think we've we've really touched on all the stuff that it can do for for a community yeah yeah you, you never know this guys i know uh, not china but uh, canada Canada was looking at some ultra high speed rail. There's not even tracks involved. It would be like a like a tube that the train would go through, and it would be it would rival airline speed. I mean, that's how fast some of these. Right? Yeah, isn't that it's yeah. crazy? You know, you know, when you look at all the, I shouldn't say uh, not unlivable, but all the property between Vancouver. Uh, Canada and and down to the coast of Oregon. There's so much property that's uh, not unusable, but it's who wants to drive two and a half hours into a metropolitan area? Sure. So if, as housing becomes more and more expensive and people are spending more time on the road, well, if you can get on, there's there's not a ton of stops for these things, but uh, there it would you could work, uh, you know, you could work and be home uh, and actually afford a, a living middle class lifestyle in a, in a home, right, instead of having to stay in an apartment, you know, just to be close to work. Yeah, it's life changing yeah. for the whole region. Yeah, yeah. And not sitting in traffic. I mean, that's a big one right uh, there. Right. All right, Monty. Great stuff. There's a lot of cool things happening over there. Monty Anderson, 
who is the executive secretary of the Seattle Building and Construction Trades Council. I forgot to uh, mention their Twitter handle. In fact, there's a personal one. It's Seattle Union. Yes, I like that. Seattle right. Union. Yes. So any parting words here? I mean, you've been you've been fun to talk to. Uh, anything else you want to add to the conversation before we go? Hey, well, all I want to tell you is thank you for all the work you guys do. I love your podcast. Uh, uh, you know, it's fun to uh, turn it on and, and hear from friends and people I haven't seen in years. You know, the pandemic kind of you know, split us all up for meetings and things. And uh, more than once, uh, to put a, a smile on my face, listening to your podcast and, and just hearing from people like all of us who just who just want to do the right thing. So well, I appreciate what you do there. Man, I appreciate the kind words. And next time we have Pete on the show, Pete Elmini from the Heat and Frost <laughs> Insulators, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a shout-out there. I'm sure he'll have – he might have a couple of stories about Monty Anderson. Maybe, oh, maybe He's got a story about us playing volleyball in Puerto Rico one time. Let me just ask him about that one. Oh, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. Let me take a note on that. All right, buddy. You take care. Stay safe and stay in touch, okay? Yeah, you guys too. Take care. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Kevin Mapp will be joining us on behalf of the United Steelworkers. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire-stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple, AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to line number two right now and welcome a newcomer to the show. And he comes to us from the United Steelworkers, a proud sponsor for many, many years of America's Workforce, USW.org, national website. And joining us today is Kevin Mapp, who is the international vice president in charge of human affairs at the Steelworkers. And that is a position that once belonged not too long ago, I might add, to Mr. Fred Redman who is now Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Kevin Mapp, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? I'm doing beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. 
Well, you had some big shoes to fill there, and I'm sure you've had many conversations with uh, Mr. Redman about assuming this role. Talk to me about that. Let's get let's get a little familiar with your relationship with him and with you. So go ahead, sir. Well, as far as Mr. Redman, he's been a mentor of mine for ooh, since probably 2016, 2017. Um, and, you know, Fred is just a phenomenal guy, you know, and he really walked me through the process told me, you know, he, he fed me as far as what his responsibilities were. And he's still there. See, the beautiful thing about Fred, too, in this position is Fred is still there. I, I, I just texted Fred yesterday. He was in Australia. <laughs> so uh, he's always available. He always answers my calls. I, You know, of course, I'm new to the position. I started in April of this year, and so I still have questions. And he's always there for me. He really is. That's the kind of guy he is. Well, as far as Kevin Mapp is concerned, let, let's talk about uh, your uh, your past here. And I see that uh, both your parents were Steelworker members, and you followed in their footsteps. And then you obviously uh, went up the ranks here. So, what what year are we talking about? How many years for you in uh, in the USW, Kevin? Well, um, I guess this would be twenty seven currently okay started in 1995 at a facility it was a national steel facility down in ecourse michigan and uh 2003 national steel went bankrupt and u.s steel bought the facility and um that's that's where i got my beginnings my father also worked at that facility uh he started there right after the great steel strike of 59 Mm -hmm. um my mother uh, was a USW member uh, for, I don't know, 30, 35 years. Um, she worked in a, a machine shop, more so uh, auto parts manufacturer outside of Detroit, in suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. So, I mean, you know, I've been, a, I've been eating and, and living off the steel workers most of my life. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, you and I have something in common because uh, my dad, also worked at uh, U.S. Steel and was there, my gosh, about 40 years. And Well, he's long gone, but uh, he retired in uh, 1975, passed away in in 91, and because of the steel workers' health care benefits, my mom was able to, uh, boy, for the next 15 years until she passed, she had all those benefits. He he took, uh, well, he did, and, and obviously the union took good care of her. And that's what unions are all about. That's exactly Absolutely. what they're all about. Absolutely. Uh, you know, my mother's 92 currently, and she's still collecting her pension. You know? Isn't that something? So, it's wonderful. Yes. And there's a lot of people that wish they had that kind of thing today, but they don't belong to a union. Hey, 12.99. I know you you were there. Is 12.99 still uh, going strong over there in Michigan? 12.99 is still going. I, I, you know, they've been weakened. Uh, they shut down a big portion of that mill. U.S. still did, uh, I don't know, two, three years ago. And um, they're still running the cold mill, the galvanizing lines. Um, you still have that Coke plant DTE owns on Zug Island. So they're running around 500, four to 500 members now where, you know, when in 95 when I hired in there, it was close to 4,000. Wow. So it's, yeah. it's somewhat depressing, yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it is. It is, but they're still working. And and I started doing this show back in uh, nineteen, uh, my gosh, nineteen ninety eight, and that's when a lot of steel companies, Bethlehem, J and L, eventually LTV, they all they all went belly up. In, National, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah there, there's another one there. But again, you go back to uh, the steelworkers, and they were able to put the VEBA together to make sure the benefits were still rolling. Again, absolutely. The union I'm difference. surprised you know about that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I got a long history with unions, buddy. Okay, okay. <laughs> long, long history there. Okay, let, let's get into what's going on today. Uh, I know one of the things you want to get into. We're going to touch on the election results, and oh, man, I'm so happy for what the steelworkers did in the state of Pennsylvania. I'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about this Inflation Reduction Act, because I've been reading some good things, and I know the steelworkers are aligned with the Blue-Green Alliance. They were looking at several hundred thousand jobs that will be created as a result of that. So I'd like to get your perspective. What are you hearing right now about that, Kevin? Well, there's a a number of things that were great in the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, you got the Medicare prescription drug pricing. You know, Congress just allowed the Medicare program, which provides health and financial security, to negotiate lower drug prices because Medicare buys in bulk. And then we didn't have that. We've been after that for years and for years. Uh, the bill also uses Medicare to create an inflation cap for prescription drugs, uh, keeping, keeping drug companies from trying to raise prices in the way that, you know, that would increase inflation. So it can, they can raise drug prices to the actual inflation rate, you know. And, and I'm starting off with the, the Medicare part because, to me, a, a lot of the drug and Medicare issues will help reduce inflation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, as far as uh, the worker is concerned and, 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 you know, American manufacturing, tens of billions in tax credits for manufacturers to reduce global warming, and keep American business competitive. I mean, they would, the, the act in, invest in domestic wind, solar, battery companies, uh, growing a manufacturing base that will ensure U.S. workers do not lose out. Um, there's also tax credits for electric vehicles, but not just any credit. A credit for North American production, meaning these plants need to be based in the region, allowing U.S. workers a better chance to supply materials and build the cars of the future. Kevin, I know it might be a little bit early here, and going back to what the Blue-Green Alliance said, I, I think it was about at least two hundred, maybe 300,000 jobs that would be created out of the Inflation Reduction Act. Is there any way we can hone that down to, to the steelworkers, or is it too early to tell right now? Well, I'm going to tell you, Ed, I think it's too early to tell right now um, the exact number or give you a ballpark, a good ballpark figure. But, you know, it's not just the Inflation Reduction Act. It's also the Infrastructure Act. I mean, there are going to be a number of American jobs created because of what has happened in the last two years in this country. Do you think that the members understand the policies that came out of this administration? Because I know there's not been too many administrations that have been able to crank out legislation like this one has the the rescue plan the infrastructure and jobs act you mentioned inflation reduction act the chips act that's a lot of policy i'm just wondering as you know as an international vice president 
in charge of human affairs. What are you hearing out there, Kevin, about the, the connection to these policies and what they mean for the future of America? Well, we continue to educate our membership on on the policies. And, you know, that's that's a process. We th- I think a lot of our members understand some of these issues, but it's true, true. It's a lot they don't. And, and we have to continue to educate them on the issues, on the policies, on what is going on in D.C. And that's a that's a big job, you know, yeah. and I, I think yeah. we're getting there. Kevin, I'm glad you brought up the election because I want to delve into that. And again, congratulations on uh, what happened in the state of Pennsylvania. I know the steelworkers, obviously based in Pittsburgh, you have a presence in uh, in Pennsylvania. Maybe you can speak to uh, what you what you accomplished in that race alone. That was a big one. I mean, there was some nail biting in the end with uh, with Fetterman, especially after. That stroke happened, and it got it got pretty tight there. But can you uh, give us a little details on the mobilization that took place in that state? Yes, uh, that's our District 10, and we mobilized everybody we could to get out there and knock doors. We did phone banking. We had a number of rallies. And if you remember on Labor Day, we had Fetterman and, and, and President Biden. We had a picnic that we put out there. And and we actually threw out on social media and stuff like that. So, I mean, we were behind Fetterman all the way. I mean, let's be honest. Let's look at the other choice. The other choice was was not realistic uh, and was living in La La Land. So, I mean, I think that was a, a race that we had to win and we knew we had to win it. We had to maintain control of the Senate. And we worked not just in Pennsylvania. We worked all over the country on and uh, the steel workers put out, we put a lot of boots on the ground at election time. And this midterm, I think we really went all the way out on it. And I think it worked out for us. I really do. I think we maintained the Senate. There was no big red wave. You know, true enough, there wasn't a blue wave, but there was a wave that, you know, the wave rolled back in. We kept the numbers down. Uh, true enough, the Republicans will have control of the of the Congress, uh, but they'll have, it's a slim edge. I mean, they barely, we, we, we maybe in 24, we can get back control of the Congress because they, they don't have much of a strong grip on that either. Yeah. So we'll, um, we'll continue to fight. Uh, I think the election results show that Americans do not want divisive politics. Uh, you know, they want us to work across the aisle, work with each other, and come up with good policies to help the American people. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what this administration has done in the first two years. They they have come up with good policies. Hopefully some of that will continue. I just hope the House doesn't get too nasty here. I know they like to talk about, oh, we're going to impeach him. For what? <laughs> what's, what's, <laughs> what's the point there? <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. But... Um, you know that they're going to get nasty, and then but they're not going to be able to get much done. I mean, they can't get any any bills past the Senate, and you know even up to the president's desk. I um, but that's the bad part. You know, with yeah. them having control, will anything get done? And Kevin, to your point, uh, people want to get things done. They they don't want to see a stalemate. They don't want to see legislation in the House die in the Senate. Nothing get done for the next two years. So we'll we'll keep our eye on it. We got to be vocal. And uh, that's what labor does. Labor is used to that kind of thing. 
You got a you got the uh, Martin Luther King Civil and Human Rights Conference coming up in less than two months, and in fact, I got a note from the AFL CIO, a save the date email, that this is going to be in Washington on January thirteenth through the sixteenth, and this is something that goes on every every year. I remember talking to Fred Redman about it a number of times. He's totally engaged. He'll still be engaged. But I'd like to get your perspective. I'm sure you've been to these before. Can you kind of share with our listeners what goes on at, the, at, a, at an event like this, the Martin Luther King Civil Rights a, and Human Rights Conference? They're great conferences. Yes, I've been to a number of them before. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Fred is in the heart of this one now. He's as secretary treasurer. Uh, he has to make sure this AFL-CIO conference goes off okay. And, and, and this one, I mean, there was a time during, during COVID where we did it online. But to get back together and do it in person again, I think is going to be great. I think, um, you know, the steelworkers always have a huge presence at this conference. And you better believe Fred called me and said, hey, I expect the steelworkers to still have a huge, you know, presence at the conference. So I'm really looking forward to it. We sent out letters to our locals. Um, Actually, I got a call earlier this morning from one of our biggest locals uh, asking about the conference. So uh, I think the steelworkers will still be a huge presence in the conference. Now, the conference is a lot of education. Uh, we usually have some great speakers come in, uh, some political, some civil rights oriented. oriented. Um, then we, we have community service day where we all we go out in different sections of, in this case, it'll be Washington, D.C., and do community service work all day. You know, if it's cleaning a park or, or feeding the kids or, or straightening up a food pantry. I mean, it's, it's just a great conference, and I look forward to it every year. I really do. And I'm really looking forward to this year because we're going to be back in person. So, again, this is the AFL-CIO Martin Luther King Jr. Civil and Human Rights Conference. The dates are January 13th through the 16th in Washington, D.C. In fact, I've got a uh, website here for more information and to register. That's the MLKConference.org. And it's the first time in two years. It did take place in 2020, but not 2021 or this year, 2022. So it's good to finally have this back in person and get that pandemic behind us. I know we're still in a pandemic stage, but things are a whole lot better than they were in the last couple of years. Kevin Mapp, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Kevin Mapp is the uh, International Vice President of Human Affairs of the United Steelworkers, USW.org. You take care. Stay safe. Let's talk down the road. Okay, brother? Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You take care. That's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to check in with the operating engineers and the transportation trades department of the AFL-CIO. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.